Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome God. We thank you that we have an inheritance of glory with you, Father. We pray that you'd keep us from the shame and the legacy that would follow some of our crazy acts that we do in the flesh. Father, uh, this life is a, is a tough journey. And I pray that uh, we would have strength to persevere through the storms of life. That we'd be built solidly upon the rock of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray for your spirit to be here today, to move us, to shape us, to change us into uh, uh, your son's image of Jesus, to be strengthened and strong, to come against the schemes of the devil. Father, be here tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 7, verse 1. It says, My son, and we always see Solomon here kind of speaking to a young lad. I think we'd see that he might even be a single lad at this time. Coming out to life, starting things, and he says, My son, keep my words. He's telling you something important. And treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Memorize them. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So Solomon's been leading up to this time, leading us into a place of, of, of trying to speak to this young lad, to you and I, people in life, passing down some wisdom, and he does call them his commandments, his law. He's just telling you, been around the block a few times, Sonny, and you've got to understand you stay away from this immoral woman, stay away from sin, but be smart. There are times we do. We want to have God's word memorized in our hearts. We want to be able to say, Lord, your words are true to me because temptation always comes a-knocking. And it says, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Flattery is speaking uh, probably uh, a little bit better than somebody to impress them, to gain on them. And uh, I've seen many a person who loves to come up and flatter me with their words. I, I don't know why, even when the church was 10, 15 people, there's always somebody that comes up and wants to impress me as the pastor to gain insight, to get some inside track to the church. And I've always heard people come up and just shovel it right deep at me, all this flattery, and I don't know why, but you always take one step back and you go, shut up, you know, that's a little overkill. And the people that are trying to make a message and to impress you above and beyond, they are. They're trying to then have that inside edge so they can therefore then manipulate you in the end. And everyone who's been a flatterer uh, has always ended up going the byway out the door sooner or later. 
they're going to hit a brick wall when it comes down to truly walking with the Lord, and they end up walking out the door of the church. And, and yet so many people come in and flatter, oh, Pastor Dave, oh, Pastor this, Pastor that. And I, I, can, I can tell you there's a temptation, a temptation to, hey, I like that. Keep, keep, keep it coming. Keep it, yeah, hey, tell me how good I was again. I like to hear that. And, and it's a poison. It's poison. And, and Solomon is saying, you got to be, beware of the seductress who flatters with her words. So here comes the scenario, if you would. Uh, it says, it says, verse 6, for the widow, uh, for at the window of my house, sorry, I looked through my lattice and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. Young, dumb, and stupid, right? Here he is, he's walking down the street, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Woohoo! Right? Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, oh, I have a peace offering with me. Oh, and today I've paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligent to seek your face, and I have found you. Oh, I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our Fill of love until morning. Now, how can some young guy pass that up, right? I don't know about you, but, you know, when I was young and single, you know, it seems like finding a girlfriend was like, you know, <coughs> uh, uh, the chore of the century. And uh, to have somebody come up and to be this brazen, to be this impudent in her face, to come up and to seek and to grab hold of would be a very strong temptation. If you would, I kind of like this. Uh, Solomon saying, I, I was looking in my house, peeking out the window. And you get this picture. He is, he's upstairs in the, in the castle. He's looking down Main Street, if you would. He's peering out the lattice. I, I like this. He's people watching. That's what he's doing. Have you ever gone to the mall and just sat down and watched people all day long? I don't know about you, but I, I hate shopping. So Carla will say, come on, let's go to the mall. And for me, that's like, I'm going to go sit out here in the little square she can run in there and shop to her heart's content. And I'm going to sit right here, go get an ice cream or something, and just, and people watch. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> you always just sit down and watch people come by, people do this. And Solomon's just a people watcher. He's sitting down there going, hmm, look at that couple. Look at this. Look at that guy. He looks weird. She looks weird. This looks interesting. That looks interesting. I wonder what's going on over there. And here he is. He's just, you know, king. Like he's got nothing else to do besides at night. He's looking down the window, and he sees this guy. And he goes, Man, look at that guy, man. Here's a, here's, a, here's a guy, sucker, looking for a place. Man, watch this. And here he is, little young Johnny, walking down the street. And here comes this gal come running out. And he sees it as a trap. He's looking at this, and he's saying, man, 
don't go there, buddy. Don't go there. And here comes this sucker marching down the street. And notice what she does. She comes up and first she has an, an innocent excuse. With an impudent face, she would say to him, I have peace offerings with me. So what she would be doing if she was worshiping some other god, uh, a false idol type thing. Uh, she, there was some of the other religions would have the concept of, you know, on New Year's you go out and kiss somebody, right? New Year's Eve you always kiss somebody. That's the tradition. It's, it's kind of that same concept, you know. Uh, under Christmas if you stand underneath the holly or whatever, you're supposed to get a kiss. And so what she's saying is, well, I'm just paying my, you know, my religious duties. I have to kiss somebody. And you're the guy that just gets my affection for my, you know, New Year's resolution. You get to smooch, right? So she's coming up and she's offering. Uh, and she goes, well, I just had to do that. It's just, you know, the holiday. And you happen to be the lucky guy that got my holiday smoochy. And I came out to meet you. Oh, I just wanted to see your face. And then you can start to see that there's a little bit more to the innocence of what she's adding. She's got premeditation here where everything's set up. She's saying, hey, I've got, uh, I've got my bed set up. Come on, let's sit down and take all night and have some fun. and Let's delight ourselves. He says, verse 19, ah, my husband's not at home. Come on, poor lonely me. He's gone on a long journey. Oh, he's taking a bag of money with him. The guy's out there, my husband, he just takes all the cash and he's gone. Left me here, poor lady, all alone. Come on and take care of me. And he won't come home on the appointed day. Don't worry about him coming back. It's not going to happen. It says where the, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield that would be a, a term called submission, right? You're supposed to yield yourself one to another. That's a, that's a polite way of saying that this guy submitted to her, to her ways because it was her enticing speech. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her. <laughs> Didn't take a heartbeat of a second to think about this one. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, and as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. So here goes the poor sap. This lady grabs hold of him, and it's almost like with uh, 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 intention. She's got to sit down there. And, and grab hold of this guy and drag him down to destruction. So uh, verse 24 says, Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. And do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray to her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were what? strong men. These just weren't the weak sissies. These aren't dumb people at all. This is a strong man who should be able to withstand a woman, but nevertheless, he caves in. Her house is the way to hell. <laughs> Gotta love reading that one. Her house is the way to hell. The, the descending to the chambers of death. 
So chapter 8 then, it goes on where this poor man had a decision to make. He says, does not wisdom, wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. So now you're seeing, here's the guy, he's wandering down the street. It's almost like Solomon could look out his lattice and see, here, here's the seductress, and the guy just goes like a magnet towards that. But on the other side of the street almost, there's this, this, this other woman, wisdom, and wisdom is crying out to the boy as well. And the guy's walking down the street, and he's got these opposing views coming at him. Each girl, I, I, I kind of see this as some woman sitting there on the front porch, if you would. Maybe wisdom sitting there in a nice hair in her bun and she's looking nice and polite and she's in a rocking chair. The other gal's all dressed like, uh, you know, in the attire of a harlot with a crafty heart. But now wisdom comes out and this is her chance at it. Uh, it says, and uh, uh, she takes her stand on top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet, a crossroads. Verse 3. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Don't go over to that lady there across the street. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come um, right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction in not silver and knowledge, rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Interesting, here's the boy walking down the street. Solomon's seeing this poor guy, and he's seeing that he's obviously devoid of knowledge. He's a simpleton, would be the biblical term. And he's being entrapped, if you would. I find it interesting, first off, you have the seductress on one side and wisdom on the other. The seductress, notice what the seductress does. Notice that she uses all five senses of the man to entice him into the trap. So she's saying, I have perfume, smell. She's kissing the guy, taste my lipstick. Hey, look at the sight on how she's addressed and what she's doing. All the things are going on with the touch, the taste, the senses, the smell are all there to, to come around this man and to surround him and so that he's almost dragged into a net. Notice for wisdom, wisdom has none of those benefits. She only has her voice. The only thing that keeps us on the path is sometimes that still small voice in our heads that keeps us to go strong. And we wish... I wish sometimes that, that, that all my senses would be firing to say, don't go in that direction, Dave. Stay away from sin. But I'm always left with just, I know what right and wrong is, but everything else in my body is telling me to go wrong. And this poor guy, he's being enticed. 
sin, I think, hits every buzzer, beeper, whistle, and, and, and button inside of us to sit down there and to drag us towards it. It's, it's very tempting, people. Don't be naive and to think that we would rise above our body, our flesh, being stimulated, the mind, the desire, and the spiritual trap that can come inside of us to be dragged away and to destroy our life. And we have to look at this where sometimes all we have is just wisdom, the voice of wisdom, reasoning and understanding. And here it is. Uh, you know, it says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion, verse 12. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's the beginning. You got to hate that stuff. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, says wisdom, princes rule and nobles, uh, princes rule and nobles, and all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold. And my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. Where there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields, or in the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. You hear that? Here's this lady saying, you know what? I'm there. I am the foundations of what God created the world with. There, there's there's a, a, a wisdom of of life that if we are in tune with it, you're in tune with the creator of the universe. And wisdom is screaming out for prudence, for knowledge, for wisdom. Sometimes we have to look at things in a very simple scenario and say, I know what the right thing is to do and I have to do it. That's the way life is. 
And if you transgress that, break against that, you're breaking against the very foundations, the core of all that life is. It's just that simple. I grew up in... Uh, my dad, as I, I've told you a couple times, you know, he was the you know, true rocket scientist. He, he was a thermal engineer and uh, designed heat, specialized with heat transfer. He worked uh, on the Apollo program. A genius in his field. He really was. My father was the first guy to ever actually use a computer. Uh, for when the computers first came out, my father could still beat the computer with a slide rule. He was one of these guys that knew how to do everything. Uh, uh, mathematical. Uh, I can remember that uh, going to see my father when I was like five, six years old. We went into his office. You know, he was in the big building, you know. Worked for this company called AFCO, which got the contract for the heat shield. And my father was one of the first people to use it. And my dad, I can remember had this big cord going in his carpet and went to this box like this big on his desk that actually was one of the first calculators. I mean, the cord goes into another big box like this, and that was actually the computer that came out to the calculator on my father's desk, and then the calculator actually added, divide, multiplied, and subtracted out to eight digits. And it had each little number was one of those little, you know, eight things that had a little... LED lead thing for each one with a light bulb in each thing, you know. He's talking about one of the first calculators ever. That was a calculator. And then, actually, they designed the computer, and they had no idea what to do with the computer. And my father was one of the first people to ever write a computer software program. He wrote in BASIC. And some of the very things that he did is he had to find a substance in order to withstand uh, the, the, the temperatures of going into space. You got to think about it. You have a man, right, on a, in, a, in a capsule. Think of it as a car, right? And that car has to be able to go into sub-zero space. And that has to be insulated enough in order to keep that man alive at whatever, let's just say, 60 to 100 degrees, 120 degrees is what that capsule has to be somewhere in that framework. So if it's sub-zero space, yeah, that guy has to be nice and toasty warm or he's going to freeze to death in space. And that same substance that's going to insulate him is going to be the same one, so when he comes back down through the atmosphere, it's going to burn at 4,000 seconds, uh, 4,000 degrees for so many seconds. If you guys saw the Apollo 13 movie, right, where they're coming back through and they said, hey, this thing's supposed to burn at 4,000 degrees, and plus keep the guy nice and cozy inside, right? And uh, uh, same substance that keeps him from the cool and all the computers and all the electronics working, it all has to be kept at a certain temperature, and, and then it also has to be able to go from 4,000 degrees for up to four seconds, and Tom Cruise, they were coming at the wrong angle, and they said, it's only rated for four seconds to go through, and he had to go through for 10, and because of my father and his team, they actually survived and not burnt up and fried on the way down. But as an engineering feat, think about that, you know, trying to do something. And so my father started to calculate all the materials in the, you know, uh, universe, you know, <laughs> the known world, that, that he's going to say, what can we do to make a compound that's going to withstand this? And it was through him taking a computer program and sitting down, being able to calculate these things. And, and he was the first one who says, well, give me this computer. I got some massive numbers to crunch because we're working for the Apollo thing. And away he goes. But here's my dad. 
Now, I'm growing up with them, and I don't really have any appreciation for the Apollo. And I was, you know, on an episode on TV as far as I was concerned. I had no idea what my dad did all day. I really didn't care. I thought it was cool that he had a calculator, you know. I looked at my dad, and I saw that he came home every night. He fought, and he squabbled with my mother. I know that when I grew up, we ate out at McDonald's almost every night because <laughs> dad came home. Parents would fight and argue. Uh, my mom would say, get in the car, we're eating, and I grew up on McDonald's. My dad, uh, there was a lot of problems. We had a sister, sister died. One of my sisters died, and my dad used to, was a Catholic, never missed mass his whole life. And then he turned around and uh, quit the day that uh, my sister died. He never went to mass again, never wanted to talk about religion, never wanted to deal with anything, and then he started to drink himself silly until the divorce happened. And I looked at my father and I said, you know, that divorce killed him. It destroyed him. Let's put it to you this way. It taxed him. My dad ended up remarrying and he kept his job and he went through all the layoffs and all that type of stuff, you know, and was successful for what he was doing. But I always looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I said, I don't care what I ever do. I, I may never be as smart as my father. But I said, I said, if I can make a marriage work without having to go through the divorce, I will be more successful than my father. That was my goal in life. I looked at what alcohol has done to my dad. It destroyed him. Drank constantly, came home, and my dad would always have the little bottles tucked away in the basement. My dad would always say, I gotta go down and check my tools. I gotta go down. And like every three minutes, my dad had to always go in the basement. My dad was always, I, I never figured out until I was like 17 what my dad was doing. He always had bottles hidden down there in the basement and go out there and, you know, rip out some of his drink or something. And I suppose when we got a divorce, my dad was even probably smoking marijuana back there in the 60s and 70s. My brother found a bag of this down. What's this stuff, mom? <laughs> my mom grabs it. Give me that. <laughs> Who knows what my dad would have done? But I looked at that, and I, my dad is a genius in so many senses. And I, I admire my mother. She always said, Dave, because learn from the good characteristics of your father and ignore the bad characteristics of your father. Because my dad had a lot of good traits. But the goal would be to say, if you don't go into life and just tax yourself to death, and that's what the adulteress does. It throws on a tax with an excessive burden so that you cannot be functional. And it just took me, probably when I was like 13, 14 years of age, you know, my parents got a divorce when I was in third grade, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be around 13, and I was just looking at my dad, and I said, you know what, if I can, if I can stay away from drinking, and if I can keep the same woman, whoever she may be, for my life, I'm going to be way ahead of the program. And, you know, as you're growing up, you have this fair fear of failure. You're always like, man, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to pay the bills? What am I supposed to do with my life? And I said, you know, if I can just stay ahead of not drinking, keep my marriage without that burden on my back, then I'm going to be, way, whatever I do, I, you know, I'm going to be successful in life because look how many people in this world make it in this world and they have to carry that burden with them. And I just had a simple goal. I said, when I get married, that's it. For life, we're staying together. And I always said I'd never drink, but 
join the Marine Corps and you drink. <laughs> and and I, I came to a place where I turned around and I looked at myself after drinking. And, and I can remember I drank a 12-pack of beer one night and I was sober as a judge. And that scared me to death because I said, you know what? I'm, I am as stupid as I can be because I'm falling into the footsteps of my father. And, I, and I'm not learning these things. And I was in a couple bad relationships. And I said, you know what? I am as stupid as I can be. And there is an awakening inside of me to say, you know what? I need to do something right with my life because I am becoming my father. And it's weird. I can sit down there and yell at my kids, Timmy, back up. And I go, that sounds like my father. What's he doing in here, you know? There's times I can look in the mirror sometimes, and I come out of the shower in my hair, and I'll pull my hair back, and I'll look just like my father, and I'll go, ah, it's a scary thought. And there's something inside of me that says, you know, you have to be careful of certain things. And, and, the, and, and it's amazing on how easily we can be enticed right down that path to be doing the very things that we swore we would never do. I grew up, my dad smoked four packs of cigarettes a day, and I vowed I would never be stupid enough to smoke. Guess what I was doing in the Marine Corps? <laughs> Sucking them down. <laughs> and you look at yourself and you go, oh, I am I'm devoid of, of, I'm a simpleton. I, I'm just like a, a, an idiot being thrown down the traps of life. And it is so hard for you and I to take a good hard look at ourselves and we says, are we doing the very things that we vowed we'd never do? Am I becoming the person that I hated when I was growing up? If I'm missing what Solomon is begging, wisdom has been speaking to me and I, I have blown it off like there's no tomorrow. And it's a scary, scary concept. It's very hard to look at yourself. And I did. I got out of the Marine Corps and I started doing an inventory of myself. I said, well, I'm smoking, drinking, occasional drugs and partying. And I got a woman that, you know, and we're doing blah, blah. And, and I said, I lie and cheat and steal, you know, on, on everything I do. And I'm a weasel of a guy. And, man, I'm, I'm the scum of the earth. And, and it's, it, it's an eye-opening experience. And then you have to say, well, I need to do the right thing. And Solomon is saying, young man, listen, young man, listen. This is the way the way of the world is established in the foundations and the principles of what wisdom is. And yet we can so easily cast it aside. I've been there. I have just destroyed my life. And it takes everything I can sometimes to wake up and not to be enticed again. Never mind with a specific situation of the seductress who's now coming at me with both barrels and her sights locked on me. And I, I gee, just by the grace of God, there go I. Because, gee, if I was this guy walking down the street and some girl plants one on me and says, come on over here, I got the bed, I got everything made up, you know, let's go to town, buddy. You just go, whoa, hey, bam, we're dead. And it's the sucker that goes down and it goes, that's the way to hell. And yet that is what begs us, you know, and entices us. And listen to this, it's what entraps us. You ever have the, uh, you, always, you, always, you always think of the, uh, the guy getting arrested by the police, right? And they, uh, they have the uh, sting operation of the uh, woman that's all dressed up, and she's really the police officer, right? And she's dressed as the prostitute type thing, right? And uh, uh, there's, there's a certain things that this lady cop would have to do. And if she crosses certain lines, then the guy can get out of it and says, 
that's entrapment. You know what I mean? That's just entrapment, right? So entrapment has the idea, the connotation that, let's just say you're the guy walking down the street and up comes this gal. She's really a police officer and she's going to entice you. So she's saying, come on, buddy, come on back to my house. You know, I really want you to spend some time with me and I'll do what I'll, you know, I got it all set up. And what's happening here is a clear line of what we would call police entrapment. So if this guy actually got busted, he could theoretically, in, in the argument of the law of today, to say I was entrapped, would say, well, I, 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 wasn't look, I was on the way to get a loaf of bread. You know what I mean? I wasn't trying to find something illegal in prostitution, but this gal came up and smacked her lips on me, you know, Flashed me yourself, and what was I supposed to do? And then the police would say, well, you're not going to get arrested for engaging in prostitution because that was entrapment, right? And clearly, uh, 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 this guy here is, is entrapped. But please, Beckin, if, if, uh, if you would, that, that what we call in our law is saying that you're free from guilt Notice what Solomon's doing. He's got to lay the trip on this guy and says, I'm sorry, it's your fault. You're the simpleton. You should have known better. I think the fault really lies on this guy. He says, I, uh, verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, And I saw uh, uh, among the simple, I perceived among the youth, a man devoid of understanding. So whose fault is it if... if According to the biblical standard, not according to the legal standard, according to the biblical standard, this guy's the one that's getting busted for it. So if you're to sit down there, listen to this on Judgment Day, you can turn around and say, Oh God, I would have served you, but you know, I was entrapped. I, I was tricked into that life of debauchery that I lived. wasn't me. I'm the victim here, God. I was just trying to go out and buy a loaf of bread. That's all I would have done, God. But... What, what does every American do? But they made me. The devil made me do it. Ah, wisdom's going to say, eh, wrong answer, buddy. <laughs> You're the stupid one. You're going to suffer for being stupid. You're still going to hell. You're still being dragged down to death. Your life is still going to be ruined. Sorry, no answer, wrong excuse. That's kind of weird when you think about this. There is a, a, a mandate of just because of wisdom. Go to Romans chapter 1. We don't have to turn there, but you know, Romans chapter 1 says you know, that uh, you know, we've all seen, we've all understood. How, how are we supposed to know the, the true hidden purposes of God? Because if we were to look at creation, we would know. So God says on Judgment Day, if we were to say, Oh God, I was stupid. I didn't know. I didn't know there was really a God. Look how big you are. I didn't know. And God says, Did you ever take like a look at a mountain? Did you ever see a tree grow? Well, what do you think caused that? Uh, I don't know. Wrong answer, says God. Wrong answer. Now it's interesting with Luke, we were just saying, You're going to get a few stripes. You're going to get beaten with a wet noodle but you're still on the wrong side of the tracks and you're still going down and not up. <laughs> and and it's, it's, 
it's an, it's an intense situation to look at where God is looking at us and he says there is a, a wisdom. Wisdom screams out of the street and it's just got its voice. It's just speaking to us. And yet here comes sin with all of its guns blazing, with all five senses it's attacking us. And it's sitting down there laying this trip that anybody would be just enticed and trapped. And yet we're supposed to stand, stand strong. Because it is, bottom line, a trap. Isn't that what traps do? Traps are turning around. If you wanted to catch a tiger, you'd set a trap. What would you do? You would do what? You would dig a big pit and put some spikes in it coming back up, and then you'd cover the pit. Nice, little thin twigs and branches, so the lion goes running down the path, and he thinks that there's a nice piece of dirt for him to stand on, but it's going to fall underneath him, and then he falls down into the spikes, and he's dead. That's a trap. Right? And what does uh, Proverbs 1.17 say? Not even a dumb bird brain, if he saw the trap being laid, would walk into it. Remember that proverb? And yet, here comes man who can see a trap coming a million miles away and is stupider than the bird brain because he still says, Well, I know that woman's going to lead me down to hell. I wonder what that's going to be like. I'll go check it out. And I'm sorry, young, dumb, and stupid I have been, and I can only attest that man can be extremely stupid. Now, all of us can be blinded to something that is clearly a trap. And even if we are uh, uh, being entrapped in something, we are still going to be held responsible for those things. That's mind-blowing. And so wisdom is begging. It's saying, if you had me, if you, you'd, be, you'd be having something better than silver, better than gold, something that was here. Wisdom is what's going to prevail so that you're strong. Where do we leave off? Verse 32, chapter 8. He says, Now therefore listen to me, my child, for blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise. And do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors, who forever finds me, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me, you break wisdom, you wrong, he wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me, Love, death. <laughs> wow. How's that for a thought? And so here it is. Wisdom is crying out, begging us to turn around and say, find life, find peace, find happiness. And notice, if you would, that uh, even in the practical sense, this plays out for us just in the reality of life. Throw the afterlife out the picture, uh, out of the picture, and just listen to her words. And you can say, in this life, we can have a much better life if we would abide by wisdom, because that's what puts the whole world together. It's like there's a secret code that holds the whole universe together. And if you play by the rules of that code, you'll be okay. You break that, just breaking common sense, you're gonna fry. You're gonna lose, and you'll suffer a miserable miserable life. I like this. I don't know. Uh, verse uh, 26 is another one of those verses. It says, uh, 27, sorry. 
Uh, it says, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, uh, when he established the clouds above. This is one of the verses that Christopher Columbus clung to to say, the earth is round. And you go, here's somebody who, you know, be it Christopher Columbus, would read his Proverbs, look at something very uh, uh, deeply and say, you know what, I wonder if this has even a deeper meaning. If this is what she's saying, that she was there to put the whole world together and it's there as a circle, well, then the world's not flat, it's a sphere. And uh, I, I find it that if we do dig deep into our verses, keep things close to our heart, God will take us even into deeper and greater feats than possible. Amen? Questions, comments, criticism? Sean. Um, uh, I, I like that, but the Jehovah's Witnesses love that concept too. And then they say, I was created by God, so therefore that makes uh, knowledge to be second to what God was, which means that Jesus is not God. And uh, there's a couple things that I would find to be some exceptions to that. So I enjoy that. Uh, right. And uh, but there is a there is a similarity that obviously that we would, as Chuck Smith says in his Bible here, uh, this wisdom personifies wisdom and allows wisdom to speak for itself. This is an interesting literary device. But it is also something more, because Jesus Christ himself is wisdom personified. Colossians 2.3 says, uh, tells us that in Christ, quote, uh, all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in a very real sense, Proverbs 8 is Jesus talking. For those of you that have the book, Chuck would agree with you. But one thing I just, I, I don't like to go too deep with that is because I've argued with some Jehovah's Witnesses, and they'll say, well, Jesus was created. He's not really God. He's something second. And Proverbs chapter 8 is speaking of Jesus. And you go, no, Proverbs chapter 8 is speaking of wisdom. The wisdom of God is Jesus who gives us all wisdom, but not necessarily to draw on that line. That would only be my distinction because I've haggled with nuts. And I would still say, well, I'm sorry. It doesn't say that that's Jesus. That says that it's wisdom. And, and the wisdom of God, if we went into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you could see that uh, Jesus becomes our wisdom, foolishness of this world, and uh, it's something that was hidden and uh, revealed. So I like that, but uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much because I figured everybody here should have the book of Chuck's notes, and then if I reiterated that, then I'd just look like they're going, Dave, you didn't study, you're just reading Chuck's notes. <laughs> but since you guys may not have the book, maybe I could look more intelligent this way, and uh, I don't know. Good point, though, Sean. I, I like that. Anyone else?
But I like what Betty says about this, though. When Solomon's speaking, he's saying, my commandments, my law. And Solomon is speaking not so much as God, but as a man that is passing down common sense. And you've got to keep that when you're looking at Proverbs sometimes, not to draw too deep of, you know, a lot of theology out of this. This is just a man saying, listen to what I'm saying. I've got 1,000 women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Been around the block here, sonny boy. There ain't nothing out there that's going to be special, dazzling, that's worth selling your soul for. Sit down there, delight yourself in the wife of your youth. And uh, yes, Betty, since I'm quoting you. Right. Right. Or you could say it was pre-planned and premeditated. Yeah. It was well thought out. Plus our fall, plus our demise, plus our resurrection is all thrown in there, right? That's the old, God knew what he was doing when he started this thing. Which would be interesting if you look at the entrapment argument saying that God's premeditated set us up. Do, 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 do. Okay. And wisdom's really the force, but Jesus is still, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. Star Wars, sorry. So do we see a good verse we'd like to have memorized for next week? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was done. All right, nine. It goes real quick. Come on, it's what, 18 verses, and it's, it's, it all... Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has set... Uh, sent out her maidens she cries out from the highest places of the city whoever is simple let him turn to in here as for him who lacks understanding she says to him come eat of my bread and drink of the wine i have mixed forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding for by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you if you are wise uh, you are wise for yourself and if you scoff you will bear it alone a foolish woman is clamorous she is simple 
and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he who does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. How's that? I like that. Uh, there's some truth there about stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Sometimes we think, oh, this is dirty, this is foul, this is sinful. I'm getting away with some dirty sin, and that it, it, it heightens the excitement sometimes. And yet uh, it only heightens the deception is what it's doing. See, it all kind of fin finishes out there. So, see, told you one more chapter. What was that? Three minutes, see? You want to do another one? Chapter 9. Huh? Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, that would really throw us because we have 1 7 memorized. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So now it says the beginning of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So for us simpletons, <laughs> 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you, you will bear it alone. That has potential. What else did someone say? 13. 13. A foolish woman is clever. <laughs> she is simple and knows nothing. Hey, man, that's got my, I could quote that a lot. <laughs> oh, we got to save those good ones for the, the dripping water and the contentious. Those are, those are coming up. A foolish woman compared to a wise woman. Well, you can't have anything better than to say all the women, all the wisdom, sorry, of the universe is personified as a woman. That's the highest compliment you can give. Everything revolves around what a woman would do. That's Mother Earth, if there is such a thing. Yeah, it's just saying there's, uh, there's, there's, there's dumb, foolish women. There's smart. We have Proverbs 31 that we're going to end with. So they get the final note of being dignified. Right? But you're right. Um, I, I, that's right. She, she's, not, she's, not, she's not defending the man. <laughs> hey, hey, we argue the entrapment issue. We're not going to go through that. <laughs> See, that was entrapment. Uh, 7-1. Paul's already picked one, though. What's 7 Oh, seven one 7-1 is, uh, must I keep my treasure, my commandments within you? Ah. Oh.
Yeah. It's, it's a personification. It's a literary trick of like poetry type things, you know, where you take something and you can't articulate wisdom, but if you could personify it, picture it as a person, that's what personification is, is you're making it into somebody and then it seems like that's more relatable to make it into somebody. And then, huh? Like Jezebel. But any guy who loves his car, it's a she, right? Right? Boats are named after women, right? See? It's just, it's, a, it's, it's sometimes a, a, a writing technique in order to personify. Put something as a person and then you could understand what was happening if you looked at it. And that's what Jesus does as a parable. Sometimes he takes a concept and he's putting solid things to it so it makes sense to us. We still didn't get anywhere. 813 seems like that's what's going to win. That's what Michelle said at first. All right. And a perverse mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance in the evil way. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I, I, I'll live with that because uh, sometimes some people might like to justify their hatred by being godly. And uh, when we hate something, it, it's important that we understand that it's also that it's not coming from our pride and arrogance. So sometimes when we see Johnny, the Christian basher of all things, and he can justify uh, his attitude, and I'll say his, it could be hers, attitude that uh, 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 they justify their righteous indignation towards sin and their justification of hating everybody but what if you have that anger it has to never come from a prideful arrogant place so the fear of the Lord is to hate evil we should hate things in this world but it should never be because of our own selfish ambitions which would be pride and our own arrogance thinking more of ourselves than we ought in the evil way, you're doing something for the love of God, which would still be kind and gentle. You hear that? So I don't want to put that thought in your mind all week if you don't balance that out. In the perverse mouth, I hate. There's two good verses in there. I think it's, I used to have it, I think it's Ephesians 4. In Galatians 4 are both chapters that talk about controlling your mouth, seeing what comes out of it. But there are people that justify their anger. They believe they can be extremely uh, belligerent to prove their point for God. And I would strongly disagree with that. So, yeah, let no unwholesome word be seen from mouth, but only such word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those. Is that James 4? It's in there. It's in James, yeah. That's two. That would have been weird if it was 4, 4, and 4. But there's another one there about no coarse jesting and uh, the words that come out of our mouth. But both of those chapters are there someplace. 
catch me off guard. All right, we're ready to go? All right, let's stand close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you, and we do pray, Father, that uh, we would uh, hate uh, the sin, Father, which so easily entangles us and wraps us down into death and to hell. Father, I pray that uh, we would uh, be wise, Father, as serpents and harmless as doves, and that uh, we would uh, understand that wisdom is crying out to us. And even though all of our senses aren't tingling, Father, uh, we have to understand that wisdom still speaks. And as much as it's drowned out today in this world, I pray that it would be loud and clear here today in our midst. We thank you, Father. We praise you and we give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.